All right. Good job, most of you, sticking in your seats. <clears throat> We're going to jump right into, uh, into the message today. I'm uh, Pastor Andrew. I am associate pastor here, and we are continuing in our series in Deuteronomy. And uh, this passage that we're going to talk about today, uh, chapters 17 and 18, and you can pull out your Bible now, either your digital Bible or your physical Bible. There's one in the pew in front of you if you uh, didn't bring one with you. Uh, you You can go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy right now chapters 17 and 18. And uh, this is a really important passage because this is the first time that we have an overt, clear prophecy about the Messiah. Now, up until this point, the first five books of the Bible, we've had lots of little hints about the Messiah. We've had lots of foreshadowing. We've had lots of little tantalizing, exciting things that seem to point to the Messiah. And of course, in the New Testament, Jesus and uh, the other writers of the New Testament uh, point back to a lot of the events happening in the first five books. And they say, uh, you know, that look, that points to to Jesus. Um, But this is the first time in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22, where there's this clear prophecy about the Messiah. So if you look with me in chapter 18, starts in verse 15, in the middle of verse 15, uh, it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, this is Moses talking, from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. He goes on a couple verses later, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. This is God speaking to Moses. Moses is reporting it to the Israelites. A prophet like you from among the Israelites, and I will put my words in him, in in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. And so this this is a really important passage that we are going to dive into. Now, this whole, all these chapters that we're talking about, this, this, this passage about the Messiah is really critical because you can feel, when you're reading the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, you can feel this mounting anxiety on the parts of the Israelites. They know by now, Moses has already told them, he's about to die. He's already told them, I'm, 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 he- I'm headed out, I'm, I'm going to be gone, I'm not going to get to enter the promised land with you. And uh, the, the people were getting anxious. Who, who's going to lead us? They knew Joshua was going to be like their military leader leading them into the promised land, but Joshua didn't have that same level of authority that Moses had. And so so people were getting anxious about their human leadership. And they were especially anxious because uh, much earlier, if you remember way back when we preached about the book of Exodus in, in fall, when God was giving them the Ten Commandments, uh, they were all gathered together before Mount Sinai, and God came to them and, and spoke to them directly with his own voice. It, and uh, he, uh, all the other parts of uh, the Bible, God spoke through uh, prophets. But in this instance, the Israelites, the people of God, got to hear God's voice directly. God came down on Mount Sinai in this thick black cloud, and there was 
thunder and lightning and this big booming voice, and the people were so terrified that they begged God not to hear, uh, they begged, Mo- they said, Moses, please don't let us hear God's voice directly anymore. It's too terrifying. We're going to die if we keep hearing it. And, uh, and, and so speak to us now on God's behalf. And Moses said, fine. Okay, that's fine. And so here in chapter 18, God's reminding of them of that. In verse 16, it says, for this is what you asked of the Lord, your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord, our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. In verse 17, the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I w-, and then God promises, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from uh, among their fellow Israelites. So, so God acknowledged that people don't have the capacity to hear God's voice directly. They needed it spoken through this prophet. And, uh, and so, um, so that's why this passage is so incredibly important, because we hear about this Messiah, this coming prophet for the first time. Uh, furthermore, God is contrasting this Messiah with all the false prophets that he says they are in danger of listening to. So um, when we look at, uh, let's see here, um, uh, go up a little bit in a few verses, verse 9, it says, uh, God says to them, when, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter to the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist who consults with the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. And uh, and then in verse 14, he goes on, the nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination, but as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. So, and that's when he gives them this prophecy about the coming Messiah. So, uh, so, so here God is setting up this contrast between uh, the, um, this contrast between uh, the, all the temptations they were going to face, the human leadership uh, that they were going to face that would, could possibly lead them astray, and uh, comparing that with this Messiah who was going to come. <clears throat> and in this passage, leading up to explaining the Messiah as a way of helping us understand the Messiah, um, God shares a lot of really important details about human leadership. And so we are going to talk about that human leadership. And uh, see, the main issue in Deuteronomy chapter 17 through 18 is human leadership. Now, some of you might think, okay, leadership, that, that's, uh, um, I, I don't need to think about that. I'm not a leader. Do, do you have, is there one person in your life you influence? Even one? Might be someone you work with, might be one of your offspring. Uh, if there's even one person in your life you have influence on, then you're a leader. Okay, believe it or not, you're a leader. So, um, so you actually need to pay attention to this because we want to learn how to lead uh, God's way. We want to learn about good leadership. Um, you know, good human leadership uh, points to the ultimate leader, Jesus. This this whole passage points to Jesus, the ultimate leader. And uh, but our human leadership actually has the power to point people to Jesus. Um, I. 
I always fall back on this example. My father, who is not uh, not a Christian, still not a Christian, um, uh, but he's one of the first leaders in my life, and he was all, has always been the most generous person I know. Uh, he's generous with his time, his energy. He's generous with his resources. And, uh, and so when I was a new Christian and I was struggling with, can I trust God to provide for me for this? Or can I trust God in that way or this way? I would always fall back on thinking of my father's example. And I would, and, and I would remember, okay, my dad, who doesn't even know God, uh, he can be generous. So how much more could my, uh, could, could this heavenly father who's all powerful and all loving, how much more generous will he be? And that would, remembering my own father's example would just uh, push me into trust and faith that God would provide. So good leaders point us to Jesus. In this, and the reverse is true, isn't it? Also, bad leaders can point us away from the ultimate leader, Jesus. So if you have anyone you influence in your life, you're a leader and you need to pay attention to this. <laughs> and also, here's, this is where people are going to get angry at me, um, good following Good following teaches us to follow the ultimate leader as well. So we're also going to talk about following. Uh, now, even if you influence no one else in your life, and you're not a leader at all, all of us are followers in some capacity, in some way. And so we need to learn how to be good followers just as much as we need to learn how to be good leaders. So all that said, let's, uh, let's dive into this. Um, and there's uh, this whole... All these two chapters talk about leaders and talk about following. Um, I'm going to highlight just a few of them. If you go back to chapter 17 with me, we're going we're to take a look at this, this one part where God talks about one of the human leaders they were, going to fa- they were going to have, which was a king, a human king. So if you look with me in chapter 17, in verse 17, sorry, verse 14, chapter 17, verse 14. All right, it says this. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. All right, so the first thing we learn about human leadership is that we want to raise up leaders among us who God chooses. So a good leader... Good leaders are chosen by God. Uh, now, right now, as you all know, we are searching for a new youth pastor, which, of course, we're heartbroken about saying goodbye to our previous youth pastor, but we know God's taken him to wonderful things, and so that's, it's going to be wonderful, um, ultimately. But in the meantime, we're searching for a new leader. Now, we're, of course, we're taking a look at resumes, and we're having interviews, and we're like, and, and of course, we're doing all the, you know, uh, what kind of talents do they have? What kind of experience do they have? What kind of gifts and strengths do they have? What's their leadership style? All that. All that's good, important to pay attention to. But those of us who are searching for this new leader, the main thing we're asking of God is, God, we want a leader that you're choosing. We want a leader that you have chosen. Uh, that's more important even than if they've, they, they're, the, they're perfect at, uh, on paper uh, with everything else. We want a leader chosen by God. Uh, another good thing, uh, another thing about good leaders, uh, let's keep reading uh, on in verse uh, 15. Uh, it says, He must be from among your fellow Israelites, 
do not place a foreigner over you, one who's not an Israelite. Now, when I first read that uh, in verse 15, I thought, is God being racist? Is he encouraging us to be racist? Is he encouraging Israelites to be racist? But when, when you put this in context and you read the rest of what God says about foreigners and how God wants to include foreigners and invite foreigners and welcome foreigners, uh, we know God isn't encouraging them to be racist uh, in any way. But <clears throat> there is something about having a leader from among you because that leader can represent you. That leader understands you. That leader knows you. That leader gets you. That leader gets what the struggles are you've been going through. And so uh, the best leaders uh, come from among us, uh, not because God's being exclusive in any way uh, to outsiders, but simply because leaders from among us know how to represent us. All right? Um, Now, let's keep reading in um, verses uh, 16. It says, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. And he must not take many wives, verse 17, or his heart will be led astray. So now, uh, back in those days, the ultimate symbol of having arrived as a king, as having arrived as a powerful king, was that you had a a great, uh, a a huge herd of horses, and you had many wives. Those were the big symbols of having arrived. And yet, uh, God is saying that uh, that's not supposed to be the symbol of having arrived uh, for these kings of Israel. And uh, what he was really concerned about, is we can tell from this text, is that God didn't, back then, Egypt was the, the center of horse breeding. And if you wanted to get a good herd of horses, you had to go back and connect with Egypt. And of course, they had just been, they'd escaped from slavery in Egypt. And so God knew that anything that connected them back to Egypt was going to potentially ensnare them again, not just ensnare them in uh, slavery and physical bondage, but ensnare them to their idols again, okay? So good leaders don't get wealth that re-ensnares the heart in bondage and idolatry. Good leaders don't get wealth that re-ensnares the heart to bondage and idolatry. And, and that's confirmed all, all, you know, all throughout these texts. We see uh, idolatry interwoven in all of these passages in chapters 17 and 18 uh, because we know that human leadership, bad human leadership, can get us re-ensnared in idolatry. Well, he goes on in verse 17 uh, about the king. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So uh, they weren't, these leaders weren't to acquire excessive wealth, um, which is, uh, now, of course, leaders need resources at their disposable, at their disposal, but they uh, are not to have excessive wealth, which, of course, this, this is, is anyone, I don't know if, you don't need to be scholars of the ancient world to know this, but uh, you probably can get a sense that this is radically, radically countercultural for the day. Kings and queens in the ancient world, uh, th- their job was to acquire excessive wealth. And here, this king of Israel is being asked not to acquire excessive wealth. Um, and uh, we're going to flip back and forth between chapters six, 17 and 18. So if you go with me to chapter 18, Again, the end of chapter 18, um, uh, one more important thing about what leaders are not to do. Um, 
in uh, chapter 18, verse 20, it says, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. Um, and so uh, the, the, um, any leader is uh, also not to speak falsely in God's name. So, so far we have a big list of don'ts, what good leaders are not supposed to be doing. What about what good leaders are supposed to be doing? Well, um, <clears throat> we find out, flip back to chapter 17 with me. In chapter 17, starting in verse 18, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere or fear the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the right uh, turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. So, very interesting. Uh, the kings were good leaders um, are to meditate on God's word constantly. And this is, this is really uh, unusual, of course, because it's, it's saying that good leader is supposed to actually write uh, it out for himself. Now, the, the reason for this is if you've ever tried to memorize something and it's a, you're trying to memorize something long, especially a text of scripture, one of the most powerful things you can do is, is write it out by hand, and that gets it in your brain somehow. Not type it out by hand, but write it, write it out by hand. Uh, if you are struggling to learn, uh, memorize scripture, it's a great little technique. Um, it's also unusual because this was the job of a scribe in the ancient world. And a scribe, that's kind of a lowly position to be a scribe. And so it's, he, the, God is asking the king himself to do the work, the lowly work of a scribe, so that he can have this scripture memorized. And it's not just his own copy. It says it's the, it's the copy approved of by the Levitical priests in verse 18. And then he's supposed to keep it with him. And he's supposed to be consulting it constantly, reading it constantly. And the whole point of it is that he learns to revere or learns to fear the Lord. This is completely different from how other kings in the ancient world uh, operated. In most uh, other cultures around them, the king was the law or the king was above the law. Uh, if the king wanted to make a change in something, he just had to say it. Uh, whatever he said was the law. And here it's saying the king is actually under the law, completely unusual. And so this, all this work, this produces the fear of the Lord in him. And it produces, as we find out uh, in verse 20, it produces humility. So he doesn't think he's above his fellow Israelites. Totally opposite of the ancient world where the king was definitely above all of the other people he was associated with. It produces um, faithfulness to God's commands, uh, so he doesn't turn to the right or to the left. And it produces long, stable government. It says that uh, his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom, Israel. All right? So those are some things, uh, some little principles that we can learn about good leadership when we read Deuteronomy 17 and 18. Now, what about the other part about good following, all right? This is the part people get a little uncomfortable. And, you know, and I understand why you get uncomfortable. Many of us have been 
uh, abused by leaders. Many of us have um, been hurt by leaders. Um, we've all felt, almost everyone in this room has probably felt the impact of bad leadership. Uh, and yet we still have the job of becoming good leaders. So let's look at just a few passages in here. Uh, let's come up with me to, uh, come, come with me to verse uh, 8 of chapter 17. Um, uh, it's talking about, um, you know, when there's controversies and there's law cases that are too much for people. It says in verse 9, go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in the office at that time, inquire of them, and they will give you the verdict. And then verse 10, this is uh, what's critical of chapter 17, you must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. Act accordingly to whatever they teach you and the decisions they give you. Don't turn aside from what they tell you to the right or to the left. And then there's even this, um, uh, there's even this concern that, that uh, verse 12, anyone who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest will stand ministering there to the Lord is to be put to death. You must purge the evil from Israel. Um, and so uh, what we find out from this is that good followers uh, listen. Good followers actually take care to listen. Not just hear with their ears, but they actually apply what uh, they're learning, uh, what they're listening to, and they actually do it. Now, I'm not suggesting that we just listen to any old leader, okay? We have, there's plenty of bad leaders out there. I'm talking about duly appointed leaders, leaders who have been uh, appointed correctly, duly appointed, um, especially the leaders who are chosen uh, by God, um, is to listen. Uh, second, we're going to flip to chapter 18. Warned you we'd be going back and forth. Chapter 18, um, verse, uh, verses 1, starting, starting in verse 1, uh, it says the, Le- the Levitical priests, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. So if you remember, we've already been over this in past sermons, each of the 12 tribes was to get an inheritance of land, and each of the clans and families in those tribes was to get a little plot of land. Everybody was to get a plot of land to support themselves, except for uh, the Levites. They were the only ones who were not to. It goes on in verse 18, they shall live on the, uh, the, these Levites who don't get their own plot of land, it says, they shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. Um, and it goes on in verse uh, 4, it says, you are to give them the first fruits of your new grain, your grain, your new wine, your olive oil, the first wool from the shearing of your sheep. Um, so uh, that's where when, when people were to bring their tithes and offerings, it was those tithes and offerings didn't just get burned up in the fire. They got used, they got consumed by the Levites. All right, so God had set up this whole system for leadership uh, to be supported. And so that's the second thing we learn about good following. Good followers support. Good followers support. Now, it's important for us in this day and age to think about that as followers because, um, so there's, there's several people in this congregation and there's lots of people we all know and love who, uh, who are um, advocates of marginalized people. And that is a beautiful thing to be an advocate of marginalized people. Um, it's a, it's a God-given uh, duty, but sometimes what, when, when, when people have that call to be an advocate, sometimes they, they sort of mistakenly think 
that their job isn't just to advocate for marginalized people, but it's actually to always be fighting against leadership. Oh, and, and, and there's even some people who view any leadership of any kind to be the problem. And, uh, and so, so they often see themselves as, as battling against or struggling against other leaders. And uh, I would want to humbly suggest to you that, that um, for people who, are, who see themselves as advocates for marginalized people, um, you're not going to be very effective if you're always fighting leadership, if you're always struggling against leadership. Um, it's actually, you're going to actually get a lot further in your advocacy if you work with leadership and if they know that you're a support to them. So um, uh, it, you're, you're going to be much more effective um, if you uh, take the position of supporting. And then what that does uh, is, is it creates all this mutual trust and leaders love to help out and lead people they know are supporting them in, in all kinds of ways, uh, both financially but also um, emotionally, relationally, and in every way. Now, these first two principles, listening and supporting, um, might sound a little bit kind of disempowering. Um, well, well, what if we have bad leadership? How do we restrain bad leadership? Well, <clears throat> this third principle helps answer that. If you go with me to the end of chapter 18, verse 20, um, uh, it says, he's talking about these false prophets who presume to speak in God's name or presume to speak in the name of other gods. And in verse 21, it says, uh, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? Uh, and, and, this is, and then Moses gives this rule. Uh, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. And so what Moses gives here is one of the uh, tools for discerning right from wrong, good leadership from bad leadership. Was this, what, did this prophet truly speak in the name of the Lord or did he not? And so the third principle we learn about good following is good followers discern. Good followers help uh, leaders discern right from wrong. Good followers help leaders decipher uh, the difference between good and bad. And so, uh, and that's a job all of us have uh, in any kind of following situation. Part of our job is to help leaders um, discern. Um, so, so that's a, hopefully you feel very empowered by that. Good following includes listening, includes supporting, and it includes uh, discerning. All right, now you might think this is kind of a tall order, asking us to be good listeners, asking us to be good leaders. Uh, that's a lot. But... There's good news. The good news is that because the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us, we can listen. We can actually hear what our duly appointed, God-appointed leaders say, and we can actually follow. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the Holy Spirit in us actually can move us to do what God has called us to do and to be good followers. Um, also, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we actually have the capacity to support. In the book of Acts, 
It's talking about how the Israelite, or sorry, the um, the first church, they had no, uh, they shared everything in common. Um, it says in uh, chapter four, verse um, thirty-four, how uh, the people would bring their money um, from the sales of their property and they put it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles then figured out how to distribute it. Uh, in Acts chapter two earlier, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and so the people supported the leaders, and there wasn't. Uh, no one had any need among them um, in that first church because the people learned how to support. And they learned how to support because the Holy Spirit was living in them. Um, and finally, good news, because the Holy Spirit is in us, we actually are able to discern. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, we actually have the power to discern. Um, and so we can be these good followers that God has called us to be. There's even better news than that. Remember, this whole passage leads us to the Messiah. All, this, all of this um, that we've been reading so far about the king, about the Levites, about supporting the priests and supporting the judges, about listening to the judges, um, about all of that is pointing to this prophet that uh, Moses said was to come. And so there's even better news than that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the better news is that in Jesus Christ, we have a leader who's chosen by God. Uh, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed to those to these uh, in these last times for your sake. In Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we have someone who comes from among us. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. It says a little later in the same book of Hebrews chapter, chapter 4, verse 15, but we, who, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So, in Jesus Christ, we have a leader who represents us, who gets us, who understands us, who feels what we feel. The time you feel the most alone in your life, the time you feel like nobody gets what you're going through, Jesus has felt it. Jesus has struggled with it. Jesus knows the challenge you're facing. He just doesn't know about it. He actually knows it because he's experienced it himself. He, we have a leader who represents us, who's from among us in the deepest way possible. Uh, in Jesus Christ, we have a leader who doesn't get wealth that re-ensnares the heart in bondage and idolatry. Uh, he doesn't acquire excessive wealth. In fact, what it says here in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So Jesus gave up all the riches of heaven, became a human being, not just any human being, but a poor human being, a human being with, with no 
power, no, uh, nothing about him that was uh, impressive at all. He gave all that up, became a poor human being, died not just a, a, a torturous death, but a criminal's torturous death. He took on all of our shame, all of our corruption, all of our poverty of spirit, and in exchange, he gave us all the riches of heaven. All the very riches of heaven he gave up. Jesus did that. Unlike any other king throughout the history of, uh, of, of, of all mankind, Jesus did that for us. We also, in Jesus Christ, we have a, we have a leader who doesn't speak falsely in his name. In fact, John chapter 7, verse 16, I'm supposed to say 16, not seven, 6 up there, uh, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. So everything that Jesus says comes directly from the throne of God. Jesus is giving us 100% accurate messages straight from heaven. Um, and uh, we also, in Jesus Christ, we have a leader who meditates on God's words constantly. John chapter 8 Verse 28, uh, Jesus said, "Then, or when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. So Jesus is 100% faithful to what uh, the Father has showed him and taught him. John chapter 12, verse 49 says, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So Jesus is, is meditating on God's word, knows God's word, is sharing God's word, and nothing else but God's word. We can trust what Jesus is telling us. And that leads Jesus to be humble, like God had wanted the Israelite king to be, in which almost none of them ever were. Um, it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We ha even though he was the king of heaven, had all the authority in the universe, could command every legion of angel to do whatever he wanted to do, he became gentle and humble among us. In Jesus, we have a leader who is faithful to God's commands. In Jesus, we have a leader who, is establishes, who establishes a long, stable government. Uh, we like to quote this at Christmas time, but it applies all the time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, this prophecy about Jesus. It says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Well, imagine that. Jesus is establishing a government with peace, and there's going to be no end to it. It says, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteous, righteousness from that time on and forever. Jesus establishes a long, stable government. So if we could have the uh, worship team come forward and get ready for this song. Um, come on right now. These right away. I'm getting going. <clears throat> um, so this song we're going to sing starts with a question. The question is, is he worthy? Is he worthy? And what I want to encourage you right now, some of, some of you 
your faith in Jesus's leadership has waffled, or maybe it's kind of floated or kind of gotten distracted. And some of us here need to reaffirm our faith that Jesus is worthy to lead us. So is Jesus worthy to be our leader? We have in Jesus someone who's chosen by God, comes from among us, he exchanges his own wealth for our poverty, becomes poor on our behalf so we can become rich. He doesn't speak falsely in God's name. He meditates on God's word. He's humble. He's faithful to God's command, and he establishes a long, stable government. Is Jesus worthy of your uh, following? Is Jesus worthy to lead you? Yes, he is. And, 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 and this morning is an opportunity to reestablish that before God. God, I want you to lead me. Jesus, I want to follow you. Now, some of you have never before made that move to, to let Jesus lead you. Some of you have not yet moved into that place of, I'm going to follow Jesus. Now is a great time. The same question applies to you. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? You haven't done it yet. You haven't followed him yet. But is he worthy from this point forward in your life? He's the one chosen by God. He's the one who comes from among us. He knows us. He gets us. He feels us. He gets you. He feels you. He understands you. He's the one who exchanged all the wealth of heaven for all of your poverty so that you could gain all of the wealth of heaven. He's the one who speaks truly in God's name. He's the one who is humble, who's faithful to God's commands, and he establishes a long, faithful government. Even if you haven't done it yet, is he worthy to be your leader? So we're going to sing that song together. Um, and, uh, and then I'm going to close us out in just a minute.